It came even to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And then the house was filled with a cloud, even the glory, the glory of the Lord. So that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. And Lord, that's, that's where we want to be. Immersed in your glory, immersed in your presence. For you are a holy God. And that has allowed us the incredible privilege to approach the Holy of Holies through the blood of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Lamb of God that came to take away our sin. And Father, I do pray that today as we once again have this privilege to gather together to praise you, Lord, to open up your word, I pray that you would speak to us and encourage us and strengthen us for your purposes. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome back to those of you that were out sick, and you still some today are out. Uh, there's been a lot going on, but God is good. He holds us, doesn't he? And he keeps us, and he blesses us, and he strengthens us, and you know what else? He uses us, and that's what I want to talk about today. And we're in Acts chapter 9. And we're going to be studying verses 7 through 19. And the title of today's message is, you, you are important. And I really want you to know that. I want you to understand that, that you are important to God. Because when you realize that you are important to God, it will encourage you to keep going and keep doing what you're doing and sharing his love and his light. You know, and it's certainly, Pastor Ann shared at the very beginning of service today about a light, the, the small match lighting up an entire cave, and we sometimes minimize, you know, in our own minds, the light that we are. And it, I never shared with Ange what I was going to be sharing today, but how well it fits in with today's message, what he shared. That's the unity of the Spirit of God. But, you know, when we talk about being important to God and understanding it and really believing it, the opposite is also true, too, because when we sense a lack of importance that also has an effect on us too, and it's, it motivates us to keep silent and to become discouraged. But God doesn't want us to become discouraged. He wants to use each and every one of us right where we are in some small way. And I emphasize some small way. That's what we're going to be talking about today. You know, last week we looked at this, this incredible, miraculous conversion of Saul. And remember, Saul, a Pharisee, a man that was set uh, and obsessed with the torture and murder of Christians. And verse 1 of chapter 9 tells us this, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, speaking of Christians, whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. You see, that was the condition of his heart. A wicked heart, a hard heart. And remember, many of the Christians at that time, they fled from the city of Jerusalem because of persecution, and they fled to Damascus to escape. Well, of course, Saul, he knew this, he understood this, and he went after them. 
So here comes Saul breathing out threatenings and slaughter, the purpose to snatch up Christian Jews out of the synagogue and bring them back to Jerusalem. And then, the glorious day, Saul had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And Jesus intercepted Saul, so to speak, along the road to Damascus, and he blinded him with the brightness of the glory of Jesus in the noonday sun, shining from the noonday sun. And think about that for a minute. I mentioned this last week, that the light so bright that it overshadowed the presence of the noonday sun. And the noonday sun in the Middle East is very bright, very powerful, very hot, and it was almost like nothing compared to the glory of God. So bright that it blinded him. Just a tiny glimpse of the glory of God took away his eyesight. And he fell to the ground. And he heard these words, Saul, Saul, why, persecuting, why are you persecuting me? And think about this for a moment. It had to be a, a shock to him. He never considered that he was persecuting Jesus. He considered the fact that, well, I'm persecuting only followers of Jesus. And this tells me something. It tells me that Jesus takes the persecution of his people very seriously and very personally. So the next time you face persecution, understand that it's, it's not against you, although it seems like it, it feels like it, but the persecution is really against your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, in Saul's amazement upon hearing this question that Jesus asked, he, he asked this question. He said, who are you, Lord? And the word Lord means, in this case, he's not referring to his Lord. He's referring to a person that's in authority. He's using a very respectful title, but not acknowledging that voice as the voice of God. He said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus responded, I am Jesus. I mean, that, that rocks me. I'm telling you. Picture yourself in Saul's shoes. Here, here's this voice from heaven, and you couldn't see, couldn't see who it was speaking. It was a voice from heaven saying, I am Jesus. Imagine that. I am Jesus, whom you persecute. And I know God's heart in this whole matter is, I've been trying for so long to grab a hold of your attention, Saul, and you have been fighting against me. You have been kicking against me. And Saul, trembling, said, Lord, what will you have me to do? His heart was changed immediately. Lord, now he's calling him Lord, his master. Lord, what will you have me to do? And verse 6 says, Jesus said, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Go, and I will tell you what to do. And Saul trusted him. You see, God promised to guide him, and he promises to guide those that trust in him. And don't ever forget that, that God has a plan for your life, just as he has a plan or had a plan for Saul's life. And take these verses, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, and we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. It means that God has a plan for your life. Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. 
In Psalm 32, verse 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. You know, isn't it important when we make eye-to-eye contact with a person? We can actually understand a little bit more about them, a little bit more depth. He says, I'm going to guide you with my eye. But what does that mean? It means we need to look to him. And he will guide us. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And finally, Isaiah 58, verse 11 I know I went out of order here, so I know Joe's catching up with me. And the Lord shall guide thee continually. Don't you like that? Don't you love that? The Lord shall guide thee continually. And you see, family, guidance is promised in the word of God. And how blessed are we that that know him, that know the Lord, that we can receive his instruction And we can trust him knowing that he is good and that his plan for you and his plan for me is a perfect plan. God said to Saul, go into the city. What city? It's the city where he was headed, the city of Damascus. The same city he set out to arrest Christians, but this time there's a difference, isn't there? Saul, you're not going to Damascus for your purposes. You're going to Damascus now for my purposes, to do my work. Saul's purpose was for destruction. God's purpose is solely for salvation. And he captured Saul's heart. Has God captured your heart? Has he captured your heart? Is is he the one you look to? Is he the one that you trust Is he the one you love above anything and anyone else? Is he the Lord of your life? Do you honor him with your life as Lord and Savior, Redeemer, friend, the one who has supplied grace to you, the the unmerited favor that God showers into your life, the one that wakes you up every single morning to mercy? Has God captured your heart? I pray that he has. Let's read verses 7 through 18. Uh, in this account in in Acts chapter 9. It says, And the men which journeyed with him, they stood speechless. I, I guess they would, huh? They stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul, Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And he hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias, this is Saul seeing his vision, coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. 
And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. I want to look now at the, the early days of Saul's Christian life. And we're going to talk more about him next week, but, and you'll see why in just a moment. But Saul was blinded by this experience. And he was brought to the reality of his human frailty. He's now blind. A man that is now completely dependent upon others. A man that once in his life, at one time in his life, seemed to answer to no one but himself. Now he's completely dependent. They took him by the hand, took him to Damascus, and they brought him to the home of a man named Judas. And there he sat three days, unable to see, and the scriptures tell us that he didn't eat and he didn't drink. His experience on the road to Damascus with Jesus, it, it shocked him. It rocked his foundation. His role as a Pharisee, now, it's brought into question. His religion, his status, not only in the Jewish religion, but in society, it's been rocked. And his understanding that he had of God as a Pharisee, it's been upended, especially in the light of recalling Stephen's faith and Stephen's trust in Jesus as Stephen was being stoned to death. Everything in his life has been shattered as he once knew it. But you know what? God would pick up the pieces. And praise God that he picks up the pieces in our life too, isn't it? Maybe you've been through some experience in your life that you can recall a brokenness. It seemed that everything was shattered. But you know what? As you trusted God, as you walked with God, you saw him piece by piece by piece putting you back together and strengthening you and getting back on the road that he's called you. And that is a road to walk with him all the days of your life and to trust in him. But here is Saul. He's now sitting in darkness for three days pondering what has just happened to him and realizing that this Jesus is real, that he did die on the cross, that he did rise on the third day, just as Stephen had said. Saul realized that Jesus wasn't a myth or a story, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ was real. And Jesus really is the Son of God, and Jesus is God the Son. He didn't eat or drink. No food, no drink for three days because what was most important to him was connecting with his Savior to grab his, his, all of his attention given what has just taken place in his life. Verse 10 mentions this man named Ananias called a certain disciple. Not just any disciple, but it's called Ananias by name, a disciple that would be used by Jesus. And you know what? Jesus knows you by name too. He knows your name. There's no guesswork who you are. There are no memory lapses when Jesus considers you. John 10 verse 3 says, The sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And in John 10 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
But the question is, are we listening for the voice of the shepherd? Are we listening? Are we listening for his voice? And sometimes we can ask the question, well, how do I know it's the shepherd's voice? Well, let me say this. If you know Jesus, then you know it's him. And you know him through his word and familiarity with the word of God. You know his voice because you belong to him and he is your great shepherd. You know, I think of the incredible gift that that moms have. In the middle of a noisy crowd, a mother is able to know her child calling out mom or, or mommy. And she not only knows the voice, but you know what else? She knows the tone of that voice that the child is using that indicates, well, there's something going on here. There might be fear or pain, some need. Last night, we were over at our daughter's house celebrating our granddaughter Finley's birthday. And when we get together, it's not the whole family. The, the Tennessee crew, Kevin and Ashley, and their two children weren't there. But, you know, we were there. There were 12 kids and, I think, eight adults. And from the other end of the house, you know, we were in the kitchen area. From the whole other end of the house, we hear a child crying. And our daughter Jackie says, that's Joe. She knew exactly who it was. In the midst of nine, these kids aren't real quiet, I'll tell you. There's a lot of noise going on. The house is noisy, and she goes, that's Joe. And off she went. She knew his voice, and she responded. You know, Jesus knows your voice too, and he wants you to know his voice as well. How much more does Jesus hear your cries because he knows you? He loves you, and he knows you like no one else can possibly know you and love you like no one can possibly love you. He knows you by name. Isaiah 49, verse 13 says, Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Listen, if you ever feel forgotten by God, I pray that these verses encourage you. God knows you. He knows your name. Your name is important to him. And your name, it tells us here, is engraved on the palm of his hand right next to his nail prints. I did this for you. I took these nails for you. And it shows us how much he really cares. We see in verse 10, in a vision the Lord called out his name, Ananias. And what was Ananias' reply? He said, behold, I'm here, Lord. There's not a panic in Ananias' voice. He seems very relaxed, very comfortable. And you know, the early church was was very comfortable with the supernatural as the Lord spoke. So I am here. And isn't that the way it ought to be for us? Such a comfort, not an irreverence, but just a comfort knowing my God is calling to me. He is speaking to me through his word or he's speaking to me by his spirit to my heart. What a comfort with the voice of God and knowing that we can have a conversation with him. Isn't that wonderful? I I challenge you to try to call our governor's office or the president of the United States. I can promise you, you're not going to get through. 
I sent a letter to our governor this week, an email, about a concern I had over her stand on abortion. And I got, I didn't get a hold of her. I got some canned email that had nothing to do with the email I sent her. Nothing, absolutely nothing. So, but God understands you and he's, he wants to hear you. He wants to hear your concerns. He wants to know your pain. He wants to know your hurt. He wants to know your challenges. He wants to know your fears. Whatever it is, he wants to hear from you. And he's a God that hears and he sees and he knows what you're dealing with. And you know, it's all part of the Christian life that we should expect that God will speak to us in whatever manner he chooses. And he knows, he knows how you, you understand him. He knows how to communicate in a way that you will understand him. Communicate with your Savior. He wants to hear your voice, and he wants you to hear his voice. Ananias wanted to hear his voice, and he said, Lord, I am here awaiting your direction. And the Lord provided this direction in verse 11. He said, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prays. God was very specific with him. He gave him the name of the street. He gave him the homeowner. And there you will find Saul of Tarsus, and you're going to find him praying. Jesus shared with Ananias the preparations that he had made. Verse 12 says, And he had seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Jesus gave Saul a vision. And he said, there is a man coming to you with the name of Ananias, and he's going to lay his hands on you, and you're going to receive your sight. Now, Saul had no idea that he would ever regain his sight until Jesus gave him this vision of Ananias coming to lay hands on him. Now, as you might anticipate, putting yourself in Ananias' shoes, as I put myself in there, I, I would suggest that he was afraid, and the scriptures tell us this. Verses 13 and 14, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man, and he's got a reputation, how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem, and here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. Lord, I know all about this guy named Saul. I know what he's done. I know that he's brought evil to the Christians. God, are you sure you've got the right guy? I'm not seeing what you're seeing. Maybe it's best if we just leave him alone and continue in his blindness. And of course, that, that is not recorded in Scripture, but perhaps these are some thoughts that are going through Ananias' head. Maybe in his, his thought process, he's counseling God. You know, have you ever counseled God? <laughs> have you ever done that? Or maybe you received some some word from the Lord, some direction from God, and, and you wonder, I wonder if God, I wonder if you've got the whole story here. Because it may not seem like it to you. But you know, God knows a lot more than we do, doesn't he? He knows everything, and we know next to nothing compared to him and his omniscience. God knows what he's doing. He knows what's going on in your life. He sees what's taking place and he hears your cries just like he did the children of Israel when they were suffering in Egypt. He said, I, I hear, I see, I know, and I'm going to deliver them. And he wants to deliver you from whatever fears you may have now too. You need to trust in him. I'm really thankful that 
as Ananias expressed his fear with God, that God didn't get angry with him. He understood, as he understands our emotions too. There's no record that Ananias knew of Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus, but God knew. And God knows what he's doing at all times. Well, Jesus responded to Ananias' fears and doubts, as we see in verse 15. It says, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he, speaking of Saul, is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house. Here's this man, this Saul, who is regarded as many as a monster, who if God had not stopped him, I'm certain would have taken Ananias out too or imprisoned him. Maybe he's thinking, I'm the kind of guy that Saul was looking for. And here he is now. He's sitting right in front of me inside the door of Judas's house. I'm sure he took a big, deep breath. And verse 17 says he put his hands on him. He's trusting God here, isn't he? Put his hands on him. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. What is this? It's, it's pure grace, isn't it? God's grace being poured out onto Saul and using Ananias in the process. And Saul's in a very vulnerable place. Here he is, he's blind, and he's sitting in a stranger's house. And God put him there. All these arrests that he had planned, all the persecution that he had planned, well, He's in their shoes right now. He's vulnerable. He's vulnerable to harm. He's vulnerable to ridicule or even abuse like he's never been before in his life. And who did God send? God sent a Christian who not only laid hands on him, but referred to him as Brother Saul. Welcome to the family of God, Saul. No Pharisee would have ever done that. No religious leader that Saul would have ever known in Jerusalem could have said that. But this is a different family. This is a family that serves a different king, King Jesus. And you know, I often refer to you guys, all of us, as, as family. Even though we come from different families, we are united together by the blood of Jesus Christ an incredible bond that he has established here to those that have placed their trust in him, bound together by the love and the blood of Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful family this is. You know, Paul the Apostle talked about this in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. He said, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That's us. We're adopted into the same wonderful family. Praise God. 
He brings us to that place of oneness and unity in Christ Jesus. In verse 17, Ananias said to Saul, he said, I'm the one the Lord said would be coming and he, when he gave you that vision. I've come to lay hands on you to receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And Saul, who is now a believer, was baptized with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Ghost, verse 17 tells us. And it's interesting how we have Saul receiving the baptism with the Holy Spirit three days after he was born again. As we've seen over and over in the book of Acts, how the Holy Spirit can and does baptize with power for us to witness to Christ in a very powerful way. Some people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit immediately upon conversion. Others receive it after, as we see here with Saul and many others. I'm one that has received baptism with the Holy Spirit about a year after I came to Jesus. And you know what? That made an incredible impact on my life. God did things in my life that I would have never, ever anticipated, nor would I have had the courage even to step out in faith. About a year later, God did incredible things. But the important th thing is not so much when you receive this gift, but that you do receive it. Maybe you're wondering, why are you bringing us up again? Well, I think it's very important. God promises his power to his people and has provided his Holy Spirit to bring that power to you. And there's many people that sit in churches week after week. They, they know you're born again. You know you're saved, but every day seems to be a struggle with sin or a particular sin, and it's a struggle that you're losing. And then you can become discouraged because you don't have the power to resist it and walk away. And you want to live for God, but it seems like a losing battle. And sometimes we can think, well, I just, I just lack that power. I lack that power where I live. I lack it in my home. I lack it where I work. I lack it when I'm driving in my car. I'm lacking when I'm shopping. And if you find yourself in that particular place today, maybe what you need is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? Jesus wants to give you that power. Well, all you need to do is ask him. That's all. Jesus said this in Luke eleven thirteen: If ye then being evil, and we are, right? Let's face it. Know how to give good gifts unto your children, which we do. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? You see, there's hope for each of us. We can have the strength that God promises. And all we need to do is ask. And there'll be an opportunity after service today to ask him. It's important that we do, that you do. So that we can leave here today changed, strengthened by God's Holy Spirit to do his bidding and to do his work. One of the most difficult things and discouraging things for a Christian is trying to live the Christian life in our own strength. That's hard. While all along, God has provided the means by which we can have the power to have victory. And then, of course, we, we also have the opportunity to ask for that fresh filling of the Holy Spirit whenever we need it and want it. 
After the disciples received the baptism of the Holy Spirit during Pentecost, they recognized the need to be continually filled with that power. And I need that power. We need that power. And oftentimes, you know, if I'm out someplace and I sense there's an opportunity to talk about Jesus with somebody or answer a question even, or the phone rings, Lord, just fill me with the presence of your spirit to fullness now so that I can respond in a way that you would respond or you would have me to respond. You know, God is so faithful because it allows me to step into him and step out of me. I don't want me to be seen. I want the Holy Spirit of God to to work through me that they might see Jesus Christ. The disciples did that consistently in Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And what did they do? They spoke the word of God with boldness. I love that. They spoke the word of God with boldness. They didn't speak their own opinion with boldness. No. They spoke the word of God. And God's Holy Spirit wants us to speak his word with boldness. Why? Because it's his word that is anointed by his Holy Spirit. And it's the power of God unto salvation coming through the gospel that impacts a human heart. It's not my words. It's not your words. It's God himself. The anointed presence of the Holy Spirit of God in a word of God that accomplishes much. Now, just as promised by God, verse 18 says, And immediately there fell from Saul's eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was, was baptized. Now, I want to look at these, these two men in this passage. We see Ananias and we see Saul. And for the sake of argument, I want to refer to Saul as Paul because this is post-conversion. And I want to talk more about Paul next week. But today, from here on till, till the end of the message, I want to focus in on this man named Ananias. We know Paul is the one God had chosen to bring the gospel to places throughout the world that it was never brought before. He had a huge impact on human history, and he still does. But at the same time, God used Ananias in Paul's life to help shape him to become the person that God designed Paul to be. And you might look at Ananias and say, well, you know what? His role is is pretty minor compared to Paul's. But listen, we we cannot minimize the role that Ananias played. He was as much of a part of God's plan as Paul. And God used Ananias to further his plan for mankind. And you see, all the parts, all the elements, they fit together to accomplish God's purposes. So let me say this. Don't ever, ever minimize your role in God's kingdom. You are as necessary and important to God's kingdom as Paul or anybody else. And do you think that Ananias had any idea what impact that his obedience would have on the entire world when God spoke to him? I'm sure that he had none. Ephesians 4, 16 says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, 
according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Every single part has a role in building up the body and strengthening the body. We need to get a hold of this family. You are important to God and important to the kingdom of God. You know, I think of Nehemiah, the prophet Nehemiah. He was tasked with a huge job. God asked him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And in Nehemiah chapter 3, describes the builders of the wall. And 11 times in this chapter alone, the expression next to him or next to them. What does this mean? It means they were working together. Every person had a part in this rebuild process. Side by side, they worked. And you know, you could take any, any individual in this whole process, or he could look at himself and say, well, I'm just doing a small part. I'm just putting this stone on that stone. Big deal. This is a big wall. But you know what? Each and every stone had a huge, enormous impact. Small parts make up the big picture, don't they? Think about Solomon. We're, we're studying in 1 Kings, the temple of Solomon. Solomon was responsible for building the temple. But you know what? Solomon couldn't do it alone. There were over 150,000 workers. 150,000 workers. 80,000 of them were called hewers. They were rock cutters. And imagine being a rock cutter. There you are. Every swing of the hammer, pieces would be cut little by little by little. And each of these rock cutters could have said, well, what a useless job. It just seems like I'm making little rock chips. But with every swing, understand this, that the temple is becoming more complete. And in the end, the most incredible, magnificent building in human history was completed. Every person had a role. Every person had a responsibility in order for the work to get completed. So please, listen. Don't ever minimize your role in the body of Christ as you further the kingdom of God. Every single witness, no matter how large or how small, it counts in the big picture. Every opportunity you've embraced to share the love of Jesus, it counts. It counts toward the kingdom. Every time you've shared the gospel, counts toward the big picture. Family Ananias played an enormous role in spreading the gospel to the unknown world. To him, probably just seemed like a very small thing. But praise God for the opportunity that God gave Ananias to take a step of faith, to take a step of obedience, to go to this place where he was fearful and ministered to Saul. And praise God for every opportunity that he has given you. And listen, never look at anything that may seem to be more prominent as more important. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 18 through 23, says this. But now God has set the members, that's us, each one of them in the body just as he pleased. 
And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. Again, prominence doesn't necessarily mean importance. The fact is, importance in the kingdom of God may never lead to prominence. Understand that. And think about that for a minute. This is contrary to the ways of society. Our society is celebrity-driven. People follow all over one another trying to see a celebrity. But you know what? God doesn't regard celebrities. There are no celebrities in God's economy. The kingdom of God moves forward on the faithfulness of Ananias within the body of Christ. And we know that, that you will never find your name written in the Bible, will you? It's written. But you know what? You're going to find your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's what counts. The vast majority of Christians will be anonymous within the body of Christ at large. And be that as it may, but, never under, but understand your service to Jesus is never, ever trivial. It's never unimportant or unnecessary. You have a significant part in God's plan. You are important. And most often, you know, the instrument knows nothing about it. You, most of the time, you never understand or never able to see how God has used you. I don't like to hear a person say, I've, I've led X number of people to Christ. And here's why. We're not in a competition. We are not in a competition. And some may interpret that as boastful and may, maybe make, them, make other people feel lesser. I don't remember leading X number of people to Christ. Well, let me ask this. Have you shared the love of Jesus with someone? Have you shared the word of God with someone? Did you present light to a person, the light of Jesus Christ? Listen, family, all those pieces add up. Just like Nehemiah, just like Solomon, they all add up to the finished work. Every single one of us that names the name of Jesus has an important part in bringing a person to salvation through your words, through your witness. Throughout your entire Christian life, the Bible says one plants, one waters. God provides the increase. It's all him. And God isn't keeping a tally to judge you. He looks at, looks at you as faithful. He's looking for faithfulness. And you know, when God does take what you've done and what somebody else has done and what this person has done and it all builds into uh, salvation for a person, you know, God, God looks at that and, and you'll be rewarded for it. The scriptures are clear on that. But it's important that we just focus in on being faithful to God and allowing him to direct us and to lead us 
and to be sensitive to, his, to us. We've talked about this a couple weeks ago. We need to be sensitive to his voice so that when we hear his voice, we know how to respond and we respond in obedience. And there's a man mentioned in Romans chapter 16 that I want to bring out. Romans 16, verse 8. Paul said, Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Who's Amplius? But he calls him beloved, dearly loved. Why was he dearly loved by Paul? Well, Amplius is an example of a humble servant. He assumed nothing, he just went about serving. The name Amplius is a very common name, and its most common usage in those days was for a slave. There's a cemetery in the catacombs at Rome with a highly decorated tomb with a single name written on it. All it says is Amplius. A single name implies that he was a slave. But he was in a highly decorated tomb typically meant that a Christian was buried there. And how beautiful this is. Here, here's a man, Amplius, not regarded by man, a simple slave, no rights. He was owned by another, yet even though not regarded of man, he was brought to prominence by God. Nothing in the eyes of man, but everything in the eyes of God. Perhaps Amplius never thought much of himself. I'm just a lowly slave. That's all I am. But God recognized his work. And God wrote his name in the Bible. And our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Matthew 23, verses 10 and 12, says, Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Amplius, that's him. Humble, a humble servant, exalted by God. And that's you too. That's you too. Do you understand that as a Christian? Don't despise, the Bible says, don't despise the days of small beginnings. Why? Because they lead to greater work. Amplius, a slave, just went about doing his business as a slave, yet at the same time honoring God in his work as a slave. Amplius, humble, the servants of Nehemiah, stone upon stone, seeming, you know, over the period of time to, to make no impact, yet you stand back from that wall and you look and say, this is done. Or the stonecutters in Solomon's day, chipping, 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 making a mess, and then years later standing back and say, wow, this is incredible. God starts... He uses us in small ways. He uses us in greater ways. It's God's choice. It's God's plan. But know this, that you are important to him. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, speaking of Jesus, it says, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant who was made in the likeness of men. The form of a servant 
made in the likeness of men, the one that would lay his life down for the benefit of all of mankind, a servant. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verse 13, it says, And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. In other words, carry out God's business. Who did he call? He called servants. Who am I and who are you? We are servants. Occupying, doing God's business till he comes. Bringing light, bringing love, bringing truth. Bringing the gospel until Jesus returns. He said, keep doing my work. And you know, when you think about it, it's a privilege to serve God, isn't it? God has entrusted the furtherance of his kingdom to people like us. Kind of a scary thought, but, but it's the truth. God uses us in wonderful ways, and oftentimes we don't even know it. Just by being who you are in Christ. You know, by being who you are in Christ, you're actually bringing Christ to another person. They, they see Jesus in you and may not even recognize Jesus in you. But something is taking place. They'll see a difference. They'll notice a difference. And perhaps they'll even open up their mouth and say, what's with you, man? Why aren't you talking like we're talking? Why aren't you acting like we're acting? How come you can have peace in the middle of all this nonsense in the world? Door opened. Here's why. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Keep doing the Lord's work. I close with these verses out of the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I have commanded thee this day for thy good. Notice that he didn't say, here's what the duty of man is. Go out and, and preach to millions of people. Get your name out there. That's not what he's saying at all. He said, fear the Lord. Walk in his ways. Walk in humility. Love him and allow him full and open access to you to use you. Peace by peace by peace. Ananias was used by God. You are used by God. Amplius was used by God. And by God's grace, I can be used by God too. Be open to be used in any way God would have you to be used. You are important to God. You are valuable to God. Maybe some are thinking, well, you know, I'd, I'd like to be used by God, but I see no way in the world that he can use me. Think again. Think again. The most important thing is, and you know, 
Paul didn't get used by God until he came to know Christ. And you and I, we cannot be used by God until we come to Christ. That's, that's the key thing. That's the most important thing. So if you want to be used by God, as Ananias, know that God wants to use you too. So I would ask that you would just approach God's throne through Jesus Christ today. He wants to bring you to salvation. And I just read in Isaiah this morning, God's arm is not too short to save. Never too short. In other words, no one is too far away to come to salvation through Jesus Christ. All we need to do is come to him humbly. Admit who you are. He knows you already. And admit you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And ask him. Would you ask him? This is important. This is probably the most important decision you'll ever make in your life because it's a decision that you'll make that will affect your eternity. And eternity is a long time. I can't measure it. No one can measure it. But God knows it. And he wants each and every one of us to spend eternity with him in heaven, in the, in the glory of his presence gathered together before his holy throne, worshiping and praising him with joy, unspeakable joy. And it's a place where you'll never, ever experience pain again. You'll never experience the sting of sin. You'll never experience, experience sorrow or illness. None of the things that we experience here, he says the former things will pass away, and I've made all things new. Would you pray with me, please? And Father, I come to you today and I really had no idea I could be used by God. But now I want to. I desire to be used. But I know in a greater way I desire to become yours. I desire to be adopted into your family. So I bring my heart to you now. And I ask you, because you see it clearly, I ask you to forgive me of all the sin that I've ever committed, past, present, and future. And I know it's possible only through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who laid his life down on the cross and bore my sin, bore my shame, and became my sin, that I would become your righteousness. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. I invite you now into my heart to be the Lord of my life. And when I call you Lord, I'm calling you Master. When I'm calling you Savior, I'm acknowledging that what you did, you did for me. And you saved me. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for loving me. And I pray, Lord, that you would use me in some small way in whatever way you would choose to use me, I am yours to do with what you would. And I ask that you would help me in this new life you have just given me to bring honor and praise and glory to you. And help me to turn away from my former ways and surrender all to you, to your lordship. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.
Don't ever forget.